Well, good morning, Cross Point Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing good? Let me ask you a question here this morning before we get started into a new series. How many of you love Jesus this morning? Amen? There you go. I uh, always, uh, I, I know the answer to that question, but it's just always good to just hear uh, the praise and adoration that we have for Jesus Christ, and it's good to see you here this morning. I appreciate uh, Pastor Michael filling in for me last week as I was getting away and uh, kind of finishing out my summer vacation a little bit and, and just spending a little time away, but it's, it's good to be back with you here this morning, and this morning we're starting a new series in the book of James. We're going to Uh, take the next five weeks to go through uh, just James chapter 1, where James really talks about a testing of our faith. And so we're going to be looking at that over the next few weeks and and sort of, uh, I guess, sort of springboarding off of the series that we just came uh, out of, which is called Greater Than, where we look at Jesus being greater than every circumstance that we could face. But this morning, I'm very excited about diving into a new series and uh, seeing what God is going to teach us through, through this time together uh, over the next couple of weeks. What an amazing time of worship we've had this morning. Uh, we, uh, we want to pray and just continue to worship God through prayer and then to worship Him through the reading and preaching of His Word. And so join me, if you will, in a, in a time of prayer, and then we're going to dive into this message here this morning. So pray with me, if you will. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, we thank You for your presence in this place, and Lord, we thank you for the reality that we have the opportunity to come together and to gather here, God, in spirit and truth, believing and knowing that, God, you are sovereign and that, that God, you are so worthy of our worship. And Father, we are gathered here today to to worship you collectively, but as individual followers of Christ Jesus. And Father, we have done that through worship, through song, through praise and adoration. We have worshipped you in our giving this morning. Father, we have worshipped you in our prayers. And Father, we now prepare to worship you through the reading and preaching and studying of your word. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to set aside every distraction in our life, that, God, we would be, uh, Lord, able to focus on what it is that you desire to teach us this morning. God, we acknowledge that your word is... Is, uh, is, is what we need in our life, Lord, as we pursue the things of God and we pursue the, the, the holiness of Christ Jesus, God, knowing that, that your word leads us in the right direction. Father, we, we thank you so much for every great blessing that we have in Christ, and it's in his name that we pray, amen. Let me ask you a question this morning, kind of a rhetorical question, but how many of you ever felt like your, your faith has been tested? Now, let, let me explain what I'm talking about there, uh, because I, I, I want to be real clear as we sort of set up the, the sermon series and what we're going to be looking at, but there are so many things in our life that really can test our faith in Christ Jesus, can challenge us. That's what we mean, or that's what I mean when I talk about the testing of our faith, the, the challenges that we have, and I want to give you a a couple of examples here this morning. There's all kind of things that, that challenge us. Uh, it, it could be a relationship that we're struggling in, and, and in that relationship, there's, there's, uh, there's words exchanged, and maybe there's fighting and fussing, and, and there's pain and suffering in that, in that sort of broken relationship or that strained relationship. 
And it's in that that we might find ourselves angry with God, or it's in that that we may find ourselves wondering why God allowed us to to enter into such a difficult situation. And, and, and many times, if we're not careful, we'll allow ourselves to be tempted to, be, to become angry with God. And so suddenly our faith is tested by the circumstance in which we find ourselves in. I know, you know, as a, as a parent raising children, there were days in your, in your life where you just want to pull your hair out because you, you don't have the answers that you need in being a good parent. And you think you're doing right, and it just seems like everything's going wrong, and and, and, and you wonder, you know, you know how, how it is that you should raise your children. And, and oftentimes your children will do things that causes so much strain in your life. And, and, and you're ready to just go crazy. And it's in those moments in trying to be a good parent that your, your faith may be tested or it may be challenged. And, and uh, you know, the reality is we, we live in a world today where we have a lot of things that challenge our faith. We are living our lives as citizens of America and yet challenged every day by the political environment that we are involved in right now. And many times making the right decisions uh, really challenge our faith. You know, we, we, we may have inside of us a, an, an impulse or a, an emotion that's wanting to well up and we want to react one way, but yet our faith says we should re- react another way. We want to vote one way, but we, our faith may be leading us to, to vote another way. There's all these things in our life that challenge us on a daily basis, that test our faith in Christ Jesus. And the reality is, for me at least, is that every day I am faced with questions that I do not have answers for. And this morning we're going to be talking about really going to God for our wisdom, turning to Him for wisdom and 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 the reality is that's what as believers in Christ Jesus we should do amen turn to God for wisdom when we don't have the answers that we need to our questions he is the greatest place we can go and this morning we're going to be talking about that as we dive into the book of James we're going to we're going to start off in James chapter 1 here well the whole series is in James chapter 1 but we're going to be looking at a, a few verses here this morning one of the things that's really remarkable to me about James is that, and really with any letter, when you, when you start reading any letter in the scriptures, and you, whether it's written by Paul or Peter or John or, or James or Luke or whoever, you know, it, it's always interesting to me how people start off. Because, you know, you, you're writing this letter, and just like if you were writing a letter, you, you get to that place where you say, hi, this is David right? And then you have an opportunity to say that which is most on your mind. So what is it that's most on, on James's mind as he gets ready to write this letter? What's really incredible about James is he says, we, we see in verse 1 this simple greeting, and we're going to look at that greeting in a little bit more detail in just a moment, but we see this greeting from James, and then immediately he says this, count it all a joy, brothers, when you face trials in this life. Now, wait a minute. (laughs) That doesn't make sense, does it? And yet what James is saying is one of the most profound things I think that we could possibly read in all of Scripture. 
Listen to what he says. He says, he says, count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, when we think of trials, we think of the, 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 the dark moments of our life, don't we? We think of the, the times of suffering in our life. We think of the times in our life where, where we are anguished by a situation that has happened in our life. We, we find ourselves dealing with something we don't like dealing with, and yet what he says here, what the Word of God says here at the very onset of this chapter or this book that we're going to be looking at here, what he says is, count it a joy. And honestly, that just seems ridiculous. Except for that's what the Word of God says to do. And so as we get into this, this first text here this morning, we're going to see that, that this is really an opportunity for James to say, listen, this is a testing of your faith. This is, when you meet these hard circumstances, when you encounter these difficult times in your life, when you find yourself struggling in life, count it a joy because honestly there's something good that's going to come of it. And that's really the, the point that James is trying to make here. I know for, for some of us here today, this is probably a very familiar passage. We've probably looked at this, but we want to dive into it this morning to kick this series off. If you will, go ahead and turn with me to James chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The message is titled, Turning to God for Wisdom. And, and, and that really is a simple title, I know, but the reality is I think so often we don't do that. And yet here's what James is going to say, turn to God for wisdom. When you face the situations that you're going to face in this life, turn to God for wisdom. And so that seems to be the heartbeat of this, of this passage that we're going to be looking at here together. And so go ahead and turn with me as we do that. So often we try to live our lives without the wisdom of God. We just do, don't we? We try to live our life based off of the things that we already know. We try to live our life based off of the advice that we receive from friends. We try to live our life based off of the information we get from Google because Google is the source of all information, amen? No, but don't we? We so often turn to these things and, and so often what is void in our life is us going to God and asking God what would you do in this situation, Lord? What would you have me to do in this situation, Lord? And so this morning, one of the things that we're going to be looking at is this reality that James instructs us, he challenges us to consider this idea, if you will, to turn to God first for the wisdom that we need to get through this thing called life. So we're looking at James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. I want to I want to define wisdom because I think it's important when we talk about wisdom, if we're talking about gaining wisdom from God, that we need to understand what we're talking about when we, when we use that word. And so I want to define wisdom. It can be defined, I guess, in several different ways. But, but here's, here's, here's a good definition for us this morning as we think about wisdom. Wisdom is this. It's the soundness of an action or a decision with regard to the application of of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Now let me read that again. Wisdom is the soundness of an action or a decision. In other words, the things that we do or maybe we say, it's, a, it's, a, it's an action or a decision 
with regards to the application of experienced knowledge and good judgment. But now let's place that definition into the context of the Christian life. Because the reality is, we want to do that which Jesus would have us to do. Amen? We want to live our life and uh, under the, the, the understanding that, that, that God is God, that Jesus is more than just our Savior, but He's our Lord, and that we are to be obedient to Him. And so as we look at this definition and we try to understand, well, what would biblical wisdom be, or what would godly wisdom be, instead of just wisdom, then we have to place this definition under the context of, of, of our faith, Right? And so here we have this opportunity to think about this. It says the soundness and the action and the decision with regard to the application of what? Experience. What experience? Well, the experience that we have from walking with Christ. For one, the experience that we have from walking with Christ. That would be our Christian experience, but that would be something that we may gain wisdom from or godly wisdom. What what, uh, what knowledge? It says here that the knowledge is important in trying to understand what wisdom is. And that would be the knowledge that we gain from God's word. I mean, that's, that's really the truth. You know, that's what we understand is the absolute truth. And so we as believers, we want to turn to God's word and we want to gain knowledge, uh, head knowledge, if you will. We, wanna, we, want to, uh, we want to get the intellectual juices flowing. But where do we get that from? We get that from God's word. So the knowledge of God's word. And then it says, and of good judgment. What good judgment? The good judgment that can only come from God himself. And so this morning, we, we take this definition of wisdom and we insert it under these, these understandings that we should already have as believers in Christ Jesus. Now then, let's, uh, now that we sort of define wisdom, let's look at what James is saying here as he starts off this letter in James chapter 1, starting with verse 1. James says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in dispersion, greetings. And so that's James' way of saying, hi, this is James. Okay, that's how we typically start off our letters, or maybe we just don't, you know, if we know the people, we just say hi, and then later we say David, Okay. But this is James' way of kicking things off. And so he offers this, this greeting in verse 1. And then immediately he rolls into verse 2, and this is what we read. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is double-minded man, unstable in his ways. Now, to understand this text, we must understand, uh, first of all, who James is. Who is James? He's the, he's the brother of Christ. And so that becomes very significant when we understand that, that James is literally the half-brother, you might say, but the brother of Jesus. Now, why is that significant? Well, it's significant because of what he says at the onset 
of this letter. Here, G James, the very first words out of his mouth, he, he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he immediately acknowledges the lordship and the authority of Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but growing up, I, I, I grew up with five sisters. And they, they had everything wrong growing up, okay? I was right, and they were always wrong. They just, they just didn't, you know. No, but if you, if you grew up with siblings, you probably grew up arguing over just about everything, didn't you? I mean, could you imagine, can you imagine for just a moment who, who James is? He's, he's the brother of Jesus, and yet he starts his letter off saying, James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I can only imagine how James might have reacted when, when, it was, when, when the announcement came that Jesus was the Son of God. I can only imagine the sort of internal tension that existed just knowing who Jesus was. But by the time he gets to writing this letter, James has come to a full understanding that he is a servant of God and Jesus is the Lord of all lords. He is the king of all kings. Jesus is that guy. He is the son of God. And James recognizes this. This reveals a lot about James. It reveals his humility, but it also reveals his understanding of the lordship of Christ. And that becomes very important as we think about the rest of this passage. As we continue to dive into this and try to understand what he's doing, because he's opening up this letter by recognizing his role as a servant. And I hope that we can all recognize the profound nature of James's humility and his submission to Jesus here. You know, one of the most profound, one of the most weighty, one of the most just mind-blowing aspects of the lordship of Jesus Christ is that he knows all things and he governs all things. I hope you understand that about Jesus. That Jesus is not just the guy who would go to the cross and die on the cross for the forgiveness of your sin, for the atonement of your sin, that you could have life and have it eternal, but that Jesus is not only your Savior, but he is also your Lord. And so here we see James. As he is writing this letter, the very first thing that he comes out of the gate with is he says, listen, I just want you to know I'm just James. I'm just a man. I'm just a man who loves God. I'm just a man who's been called to serve God and also the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That becomes very important as we think about everything else that he has to say in James chapter 1. Now, we, we continue here and, and we, we, we want to understand this Lordship thing because it becomes so important. Jesus said it like this. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So even Jesus, it's not that just James is having this sort of wild idea that, Je that Jesus is, is Lord. He, even Jesus would declare that, that all authority, all authority, that doesn't leave anything out, does it? All authority belongs to him. All authority has been given to him. So this is what even Jesus says, John spoke of this in Revelation when he said these words. He says, on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, 
King of kings and Lord of lords. Have you ever really thought about that phrase, King of kings and Lord of lords? I mean, when we think of a king today, we, we probably have to let our minds wander to the Middle East or somewhere like that where they, they still have kings. We don't have a king here in America, so it's kind of hard for us to wrap our mind around it. But we can, we can go and let our minds go to some other country far away where they do still have kings. And the, the reality of that king in that nation is that he is the sovereign Lord of that nation. What he says goes. But you know what the Word of God says? That he is, Jesus is the king of even that king. Of all the kings, in fact. Of all those who would be self-declared lords of anyone or anybody or any nation, Jesus is the Lord of all lords. And so his authority has been established. His authority is, is, is secure. Mark, in his gospel, he declared this. He says, so then the Lord Jesus the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat down on the right hand of God. And so Jesus' lordship was established. It is established. He is the king of kings and he is the lord of lords. William Jackson, author of The Authority of Jesus Christ, he, he wrote this in his book. He said, authority is attributed to God. It is resident in his very nature. Authority alludes to deity's right to command and enforce obedience. Now, why is this all so important? If we're talking about just getting wisdom from God, why do we spend so much time talking about the lordship or the authority of Christ Jesus? Well, here's why. Because if we are in need of wisdom, if we are in need of understanding how we are to live our lives as followers of Christ Jesus, then why in the world would we go to Google for those answers? Why in the world would we go to our friends, even and seek answers to questions that we have when Jesus Christ is the authority of our life as followers of Christ Jesus, as disciples who have been saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus? Why would we go anywhere else when we are desiring wisdom for our life? Why would we go anywhere else than the authority of our life who is Jesus Christ? Why would we go anywhere else? Why would we read any other book? And I'm not saying that books are wrong, but why would we put so much emphasis on anything other than the Word of God for our life? And so this is the point that James is going to try to make here as he continues to, to, to explain where he's going with this. He starts off with the Lordship of Christ, and then we get to verse 2, and he says this thing about count it all a joy when you're meeting all these trials. When you're suffering, be joyful. That's what he says. When you're suffering, be joyful. And then he goes into this explanation of it all, and that's what I want us to look at. There's a couple of things that I, I jotted down as I thought about this, and you might want to jot them down as well. But here's the first thing that I jotted down. When our faith is tested, the wise will turn to God. When our faith are tested, that's what James is going to present to us here in the first part of this passage here. When our faith is tested, when we find ourselves pulling our hair out over life circumstances, the wise will always turn to God. And so we want to be wise, amen? We want to be, we want to be wise in the decisions that we are making. And so the reality is, is that what James is saying is that we need to desperately turn to God. Look at this with me, if you will. Verse 2. He says, Count it all a joy, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith, there it is, the testing of your faith 
produces steadfastness. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. And let steadfastness have its full effect on you, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, look at this, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Notice what James says here. He says, when you face trials, that's important. Because if you think you're going to get through this life without any trials in your life, some of you are young and, man, things have been going really good for you for the last 16, 18, 20 years. But, but, but what James says is when you face those trials. In other words, this, there's this understanding that it, it, the Word of God doesn't say if you ever face a trial. It says when. And so we must understand there's this, this reality that, that life is not going to always be easy, that life is not going to always be just nice and smooth. You ever been riding in construction uh, in, a, in a car and, and the ground, they've, they've tore up the asphalt and there's potholes everywhere? You ever ride through that? I mean, from here to Atlanta these days is just almost a disaster to drive in. I mean, you're, you're constantly being jarred by the by the road that has been tore up. And, and then all of a sudden you hit that spot where, where the new asphalt has been laid, you, you know, and all that roar from your tires and that banging from the potholes. And all of a sudden you just, you kind of bump up on this, this new asphalt and it's nice and smooth, right? And you're riding along and you're like, oh, praise God. And then you dip off and you're back into the construction again, right? And why they only do like 50 feet of asphalt at a time, I don't know. You know, why do they do that? They'll, they'll tear up 68 miles of, of, of interstate and they'll pave 100 yards, you know. And it, it just doesn't make sense, but that's what they do. I think they do it just to make us unhappy, okay? But the reality is, is that's a lot of the way James, when he's describing it, he says, when you... When you face trials, when you face those bumpy roads, sure, we all want to be on that smooth asphalt, but when you face these bumpy roads, and you will face them, encounter the joy because there's a purpose behind all of that. There's a purpose behind all of that. And so the reality is we will face these trials. And he says these trials will test us. They will test our faith. These circumstances will, will test our faith. Here's, here's what I've, I've really come to understand about trials. We've all been through them. But here's what I've come to understand about trials. Trials will become the greatest tool that we could ever have. The greatest tool that we could ever have for correcting our view of God and ourselves. Trials become the greatest tool that we have ever been given that correct our view of God and of ourself. You see, when life is too smooth, we begin to think that we are the masters of the universe, aren't we? When life becomes real easy, we begin to think, man, I don't need God because, I mean, I've got things under control. And then suddenly a trial hits and suddenly our view on life seems to change because suddenly we find ourselves running back to our Savior. Father, help me. And so James says there will be trials. And these trials, they will test us. But notice what James says. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, and I love this, if any of you lacks wisdom, 
Let him ask God who gives generously. You see, we probably have the most questions when we're in the midst of our trials. We find ourselves saying, God, why is this happening to me? We find ourselves saying, God, can you get me out of this? God, can you comfort me in my pain? The questions seem to be greater in the midst of our trials. And where there's questions, there's a need for answers. And James says, when you need wisdom, go to God and he will give you wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously. You know, the writer of Hebrews, he said it like this. He says, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He, he's describing, as he's talking about running the race, he's talking about as we, as we go through life. It's a metaphor for just going through life. As we run the race, what race? Well, most of us here today are probably not training for any sort of race, right? But the race that he's referring to here, the writer of Hebrews, is talking about life. As we walk through life, as we run through life, as we go through life, he says this, he says, he says here in verse 2, something very powerful, looking to Jesus, the founder, or some translations say the author and the perfecter of what? Of our faith. So as we go through life, which can seem like a race, let us run with endurance, but also keeping our eyes on the author and the perfecter, of our faith. Why is that? Because we will need his wisdom in our life. He is perfecting our faith through our trials. He is, he is the author of all that we are as disciples in Jesus Christ. And so here we see that we are challenged by the word of God to understand that when our faith is tested, the wise will turn to God. And we want to be wise, I hope. I want to offer a couple of just pieces of application here. I usually would do this at the end, but James is speaking into this directly, so I want, to, I want to mention it right now. How is it that we turn to God in wisdom? What, how do we tap into the, the wisdom of God? Okay, so we understand that, that, that is, if we're going to be wise, we want to turn to God when we are in need of wisdom. But how do we do that? How do we tap into God's wisdom? And here's what James offers to us. The first thing is we pray. We pray. And I know that you, you, may, you may be thinking here this morning, well, yeah, but how many of us oftentimes go to other sources without prayer? We do it all the time. But notice what James says here. He says, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, what does he say? Let him ask God. Let him ask God. Let him turn to God. 
Secondly, we need to acknowledge that true wisdom only comes from God. He says, let him ask God who gives generously. God is the, is the author. He is the provider. He is the source of the wisdom that we're looking for, that wisdom that comes not from worldly understanding but from, uh, from eternity. It's, a, it's an eternal true wisdom that can only come from God. It's the, it's the answers in our life that we so desperately need. And then finally, the third thing is we can stand steadfast in the full assurance that Jesus is our foundation. That Jesus is our foundation. You see, our, va- our, our faith is based on the, on the truth of God's word. And the truth of God's word speaks to this reality that Jesus is our foundation. I want to I talk more about that for just a moment. But let me, while I mention in truth, just mention this as well. When we talk about the truth, we're talking about God's word. Going to the scriptures for the answers that we are seeking. And and one of the things that we need to understand is that our faith is is based upon this truth that we understand the scriptures to be and the truth that the scriptures are. So if our faith is, is built upon this foundation of truth that God has given us in his word, then why wouldn't his word be somewhere that we turn to for wisdom? It should be, right? Martin Luther believed so much in this idea of standing in the truth of God's word that even when his life was threatened, even when his life was threatened, he said, I cannot stray away from the word of God. He he once wrote these words. He says, unless I am convinced by sacred scripture or by evident reason, I cannot recant because my conscience is held captive by the word of God. And to act against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. God help me. I can do no other. In other words, he was saying that his mind, his heart, his soul, everything that he is as a follower of Christ Jesus is developed by this understanding that he has gained from the word of God. And so if the word of God is teaching him to stand firm when the world may be saying, you better run or else, he says, I can't do it. I can't do it. Because God has called me to live by the conscious, and my conscious is developed by the word of God. I love this. He says, my mind is held captive to the word of God. Now let's dive into the second point that I wanted to mention. And i got to hurry, I know, because we're almost out of time. But here's the second thing I jotted down here, and I just mentioned it a while ago. But when our faith is tested, the wise will stand, excuse me, will find stability in his foundation. How many of you believe this, that Jesus Christ is the rock of your salvation? Amen? That Jesus Christ is the rock of your salvation. He is the foundation of everything that we say we are as a disciple of Christ Jesus. Amen? He's our foundation. And so one of the things that we see here as James continues to develop this chapter of Scripture, as he continues to write, he says something that is hugely profound. He he basically reveals to us that Jesus Christ is the anchor for our souls. When the world is unstable, he is stable. We find our stability in Christ Jesus because he is the rock. And I love what he says here. He says here, 
But let him who asks, remember James is saying when we're in doubt, when we have questions, when we are uncertain, we go to God. Let us ask God for wisdom because God will give us wisdom generously. And then he says this. He says, let us ask for that wisdom in faith. Let us ask without doubting. Let us believe that God is our stability. Let us believe that, that he is our hope. Let us believe, let us, let us have the certainty of who Christ Jesus is. He says, let us ask him in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in his ways. And so here's what James is saying. He says, for the person who is wise and goes to the Lord and believes in the stability of Christ Jesus, the reality that Jesus is our foundation and believes that Jesus is our hope and believes that Jesus is the source for our, our wisdom, for him, he will find stability in Christ Jesus. But for the guy who doubts or doesn't really believe that Jesus is who he says he is, then he will be like a wave that is tossed back and forth by the wind. Out of control. Let him ask in faith. With no doubting. James is contrasting solid, strong faith to an, a wavering, weak faith. And the only reason he would be doing that is if he knew that there are people living their lives as followers of Christ Jesus, some who have strong faith and some who have weak faith. We want to be the wise. We want to go to God for wisdom. We want to go to God. We want to turn to God when we need answers. But we want to also know with a certainty, with an assurance that He is our hope. Amen? We want to know. We got to believe. Peter points out in Scripture uh, uh, what Scripture says about Jesus. He says, Behold, I am laying a Zion, a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Whoever believes in him, whoever stands firm in him, because he is the cornerstone. Paul said it like this. He said, they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ Jesus. The rock is our Savior. He is the cornerstone of our faith. He is the rock. He is the foundation of everything that we are. Without him, we are nothing. And so we stand firm in the reality of who Christ is. And then Jesus himself, he once, wrote, he once said this in Matthew 7, 24 and following. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. We're talking about wisdom here, right? He will be like a wise man, one who has received wisdom from God. He will be like a wise man who built his house on the, the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears the words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and, the, and beat against that house and it fell 
and, the, and great was the fall of it. Over and over and over, the Word of God points out that Jesus Christ is our rock. He is our foundation. And we can build our lives upon Him or we can build our lives according to the world. But when we go to the world for our stability, when we go to politics, when we turn to our relationships, when we turn to Google for our stability, and those things fail, and they will fail, then we fail. And great is the fall. But when we as believers in Christ Jesus stand firmly on Jesus Christ, who is the, the rock of our salvation, He is the, the foundation of our hope. He is the source of our strength. When we choose to stand with Jesus, when we turn to Him and His authority for wisdom on how to live our lives in a very unstable world, the Word of God promises that He will give us wisdom. You want to know how to parent your children? Turn to Christ Jesus. Read His Word. Ask for wisdom. The Word of God promises He will give it generously. So the question for us this morning is how are we, how or, or who or what are we going to turn to for wisdom? Are we going to turn to world to the world for our answers, to higher education, to the internet, to even our own sense of morality? Are we going to turn to God? I want to sort of close out this morning with Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, that says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of the sinner, nor sit, sits in the seat of the scoffer, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in the season and its leaves does not wilter and all that he does he prospers and so this morning we stand at a crossroads where have we been receiving what we have come to believe as wisdom in our life. I love what R.C. Sproul says. He once said this. He said, the very word authority has within, the word author, within it the word author. An author is someone who creates and possesses a particular work. Insofar as God is the foundation of all authority, he exercises that foundation because he is the author and the owner of his creation. He is the foundation upon which all authority stands or falls. My friends, we need wisdom every single day. We need direction. We need vision. We need, we need the voice of God to, to penetrate our hearts and our minds. We need, we need to hear from Him. We need to know that we're on the right path. we do that by acknowledging that he is the source of our strength and our wisdom by acknowledging that only in him do we have stability and by asking God through prayer 
in just a moment, our pastors are going to come and they're going to stand on each side and, and they are here for you. And after the service, we will be in the connection room if you want to come in there and, and, and have, uh, if you have questions, if you want us to pray with you, this altar is open. But one of the greatest things that we can do as we proceed in this thing called life, as we try to understand what God would have us to do and how we can live our life with knowledge and understanding for all the answers that we seek. The Word of God tells us to first turn to God. And so let this time be a time of prayer. Let this time as we stand and sing be a time of prayer where we go to the Father. We sang earlier that He is a good, good Father. I love that song. I love it every time they they do that because I love thinking about God that way. He is a good, good Father. Let us go to our Father in prayer. and Let us ask God to help us figure out how it is that we can live our life in such a way that we were created to bring glory to Him, to impact this world for His kingdom, and to be blessed beyond measure as a follower of Christ Jesus. So I'm going to pray, and then you respond, however God's leading you to respond. Let us be thankful for a holy and righteous God. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for, God, the reality that you have joined us in this place today. God, that you have come to to meet us here. God, we're thankful that you walk with us every single moment of our life. And God, we admit that so often we find ourselves, Lord, leaning more on our, understand, our own understanding than we do the wisdom of, that is available to us through you. God, we acknowledge that so often our seeking of answers in this world have more to do with what we can find on our smartphones than they do in times of prayer. Father, I'm thankful for the Word of God that challenges us to reconsider our lives, to evaluate who we are as followers of Christ Jesus and challenge us, Lord, to not pursue the things of this world, but to pursue the the greatness of who you are. Understanding and believing, God, that you are our hope and our future. And God, whether we're trying to find the answers to how to best raise our children, Father, whether we're trying to figure out how we should vote this year, Father, I pray that as we try to figure out how to best handle our finances or deal with that rocky relationship that we find ourselves in, Father, I pray that whatever we face in this world, whatever circumstance or trial that we are facing in this moment of our life, that God, you would be that which we seek. You would be the one that we turn to. And Father, even now as we prepare to stand and sing this last song, I pray that that we would not be in a hurry to leave this place, but God, we we would be content in worshiping you, bowing before you, praying to you for wisdom as we live our lives as disciples of Christ. Father, we love you. 
and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.